Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We're going to study Acts 17, the first 15 verses. This is actually the continuation of Paul's second missionary journey. He had been ministering in Philippi. He had been forced out of that city. Paul, Silas, and Timothy traveled on to Thessalonica, which was the capital of Macedonia. They traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, but they didn't stop and minister in those cities. Scripture doesn't tell us why, but Thessalonica was roughly about 100 miles along the Ignatian Way, the Ignatian Way being the road the Romans built there in Macedonia. Acts, the, the whole chapter of Acts 17 is actually the account of Paul's missionary journey in three different cities, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. We're going to focus our time on the first two cities, Thessalonica and Berea. And as has been your practice, let's stand in honor of God's word as I read this passage. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security... From Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue there as well. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea But Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea, 
Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. So the three cities in chapter 17 that Paul ministers to, he finds in Thessalonica that the people were generally resisted God's word. In Berea, he found that the people generally received God's word. And when you get to the rest of the chapter next week, you'll see in Athens probably where the people generally ridiculed God's word. This passage here that we're studying, the first 15 verses, is broken down into three sections. Those three sections are Paul's ministry there in Thessalonica, his preaching about Jesus Christ as the Messiah in verses 1 to 4. The second section is the assault on Jason's house, verses 5 to 9. And finally, Paul's ministry in Berea, verses 10 to 15. Paul's primary job, his career, if you will, was making tents. He was a tent maker. He would make them and sell them. So that was his day job. That's what he did during the week. But on the Sabbath day, he could be found teaching in the Jewish synagogue. These verses tell us that this went on for three Sabbaths in a row. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us how long Paul Silas and Timothy were in Thessalonica specifically, but we do know from Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16, that it was long enough for Paul to have received financial assistance from the Philippi church at least twice. So we could probably make an assumption that it was about two months. Verses 2 and 3, we find four key words that describe Paul's method of teaching. He reasoned, meaning he dialogued with the people conversationally. He interpreted the scriptures for them by way of a question and answer session. Secondly and thirdly, he explained and proved, meaning that he opened the Old Testament scriptures, which by the way was the only scripture they had in that day, He explained and proved the prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. Paul laid out before the people one proof after another that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Jewish Messiah. And finally, he announced the gospel, meaning he taught the facts very carefully about the suffering of Jesus, about the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Thus, defeating death and Satan for all time. In many of the teachings in Acts, you will find an emphasis on the resurrection. You've already studied some of those chapters, the first three, and again in five. But as believers in that day and this, we are called to be witnesses 
of the resurrection. Without Christ rising from the dead, we have no hope. So we are to be the witnesses of the resurrection. In San Antonio, Texas, there's a pastor and an author by the name of Max Lucado. You may have heard of him, but he said this about Jesus. Jesus was like a backwater peasant. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never journeyed more than 200 miles from his home. Friends left him. One betrayed him. Those he helped forgot about him. Prior to his death, they abandoned him. But after his death, they couldn't resist him. What was the difference? The answer is his death and resurrection. For when he died, so did our sin. And when he arose, so did our hope. And when he rose, our grave was changed from a final residence to temporary housing. The reason he did it is the face that we see in the mirror. He loves you and me more than we can understand. Gentleman by the name of Dr. John Stott, an English Anglican theologian, said this, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, then Christianity is destroyed. Truly, we serve a risen Savior. Verse 4 tells us that because Paul's, of Paul's first three weeks in Thessalonica synagogue, there were some who, pers- who were persuaded and became converts, including a large number, some translations say a great multitude of godly Greek men, and not just a few of the leading women of the city. This means that they were likely women of the upper middle class of that city. But Scripture doesn't define for us what a large number or a great multitude or not just a few means. I don't think it matters. We get the, we get the point. In verses 5 to 9, we move on to the assault on Jason's house. While many of the people were persuaded and became converts to the faith, still very many more of the Jews were not persuaded. They were envious of Paul, obviously controlled by Satan. So they gathered some evil men, and some translations refer to them as worthless fellows, from the streets, forming a mob, and starting a riot by attacking the home of Jason. Why Jason's home? Well, verse 7 says that is where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were staying. 
The plan was to call on the daily laborers in the marketplace there to start a riot against Paul and the believers in Christ. And they incented those daily laborers by paying them. The purpose of the riot or the uproar was to get the attention of the city magistrates so they could drag the missionaries before their city assembly and prosecute them. But what happened? These unbelieving Jews did not realize that they were fighting against the almighty, sovereign God and the spreading of his gospel message. So God prevented the rioters from finding Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And when they couldn't find them, they seized Jason, who was probably a Greek believer and who had permitted the missionaries to stay in his, at his home. You have to recognize that this mob had to do something to somebody. They'd been paid for it. So they vented their trump up, trumped up emotions on Jason and some other believers, every one of them innocent people. So the mob dragged these innocent people before the rulers of the city, and frankly, without meaning to, they actually paid tribute to Paul and Silas when they described them as men who had turned the world upside down. They charged them with the plotting to overthrow the government of Caesar by preaching about another king, Jesus. Now, the government of Caesar was the Roman government. Isn't it strange that these unbelieving Jews were so concerned about protecting the government of Caesar? I thought the Jews had very little to, to no love at all for the Roman Empire. Just an interesting parenthesis there. I want you to understand how Satan works. Back in Isaiah, the angel, the fallen angel, who was named Lucifer, said this very arrogantly. In chapter 14, verse 13, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Five very arrogant I will statements that got Lucifer and a third of the angels cast out of heaven. And he stayed, make those statements as if he had the power to do it. What we have to understand today is that Satan has never rescinded those statements. And the reason is because it is still his goal today. The unbelieving Jews' jealousy of Paul led to disobedience. That's exactly what Satan wanted. Disobedience and evil works usually go together. This mob had dragged and physically assaulted Jason and the other believers as they were being led before the city leaders. Satan's hatred for Jesus Christ had spread from the unbelieving Jews to the people in general and finally onto the city leaders. 
We have seen this whole story play out the same in our culture today, haven't we? While the false accusations accomplished their goal, the purpose was to stir up the people and the city officials. Satan's lies always, always serve to make people hate others. He wants relationships destroyed. He wants marriages destroyed. And he wants wars to escalate. Just look at all the hate in our society today. People, us mortal humans, we also want to believe Satan's lies because those lies justify our actions. And sometimes they protect our position and our power. Teaching the gospel message also caused trouble there in Thessalonica. The trouble was in the hearts of the people. It was spiritual trouble. The gospel message can upset people spiritually. Some will change their mind about their sin and repent and believe. And yet others will do what the mob in Thessalonica did and react with hatred. We've all experienced it. So under the cover of night, the missionaries left Thessalonica and started for Berea. Berea was roughly about 45 miles away. Again, Paul went straight to the synagogue in Berea. When they arrived, there in verse 10, although it was not a long ministry in Berea, it was quite effective for God's kingdom. Paul found the Berean Jews very much engaged in the study of the Old Testament. And as Paul taught them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they demonstrated their open-mindedness by searching and checking and comparing the Old Testament scriptures with what Paul was teaching. While they had a teachable attitude with Paul, they were still determined to be sure Paul was teaching the scriptures accurately. Verse 11. As a result, many of these Jews believed. As, some of the, as did some of the Greek men and women. Verse 12. That was success for God's kingdom. Satan hates that. Once again, Satan made sure that the word got back to the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica, that Paul was carrying on his ministry there in Berea with Silas. So, so these unbelieving Jews went to Berea to stir up trouble against Paul, verse 13. And the brothers in Christ in Berea acted immediately by taking Paul toward the sea with a protection detail. Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea to continue the ministry, verse 14. The protective escorts with Paul continued the journey with him all the way to Athens. And then they returned back to Berea with a message from Paul for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible in Athens. Well, that's it. That's the lesson of Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 15. Indeed, where do we go from here? 
What's the application of this passage for us today in October 2023? As I studied this passage over the last couple of weeks, I came up with three applications. God is sovereign. Do you believe that? He is. He is in control of everything that we can possibly think of or imagine. Paul recognized this and didn't get frustrated or discouraged when Satan's interruptions and the unbelievers forced him out of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Rather, Paul accepted the change in his plans as God's sovereign plan for him. I want to tell you about another couple and how their story changed over time. Martin and Grace were in a college in Kansas, a Christian college. They fell in love, got married, and committed their lives to full-time ministry work. And for 17 years, Grace and Martin served with New Tribes Missions in the Philippines, where Martin was a jungle pilot. He delivered mail, various supplies, and encouragement to other missionaries. He transported the sick and injured to medical facilities. Grace served in various roles, supporting the aviation program and homeschooling their children. All three of those children were born in the Philippines. On May the 27th, 2001, yes, that was just three and a half months before 9-11, they were celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary at a resort at Palawan Island. They were rudely awakened by the pounding on their hotel room door at 4 a.m. Before Martin could get to the door, it burst open to reveal three men with guns. Martin and Grace were taken captive by a militant group of Muslims called the Abu Sayyaf group. In addition to them, the group seized more guests and took them to Basilian Island, an Abu Sayyaf group stronghold. In the ensuing months, some of the hostages were killed. Most were set free. From November 2001, just Grace and Martin and one other hostage remained in captivity. For more than a year, and under the total control of their captors, they were constantly on the move, living in primitive conditions in the jungle, evading capture from the Philippine military, and enduring gun battles, and witnessing unspeakable atrocities committed by the men of Abu Sayyaf group. Soon after the events of September 11th in 2001, the United States news media took a greater interest in Grace and Martin's plight, and they kept their story in the national headlines. On the afternoon of June 7th of the next year, 2002, 
Yes, that was 376 days since their abduction. The Philippine military attempted another rescue. This rescue would mark the 17th firefight that they would endure. Tragically, Martin was killed during that firefight with three gunshot wounds to the chest. Wounded but alive, Grace was rescued and returned home under a national spotlight. Why? Why would a sovereign God allow such an event to take a committed missionary couple into captivity like this? And then, why would God have Martin taken away from his wife, his family, and ministry? I imagine jungle pilots are not around every corner. The answer is, because he is sovereign, he allowed it. What Satan and the Abu Sayyaf group meant for evil, God meant for the good of his kingdom. As a result of Martin's death and Gracia's experience, their story made not just national headlines, but global headlines. It has been told in every major news outlet worldwide. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was shared with the multitudes all over the world that heard it or read about it in a magazine about Martin and Gracia Burnham's story. Gracia Burnham, just like Paul, accepted the change in her ministry as God's sovereign plan for her. She went back to the Philippines to testify against her captors, and they're serving life in prison, and she has maintained a ministry with them. She's taken the proceeds and established a foundation that's producing literature about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those captors in prison have gotten a hold of it. And some have been converted. God is sovereign. Nobody even heard of Martin and Grace and their ministry by New Tribes Missions except their family and friends before this event. So our first application is we need to accept the sovereignty of God like Paul did and like Grace Burnham did. Secondly, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were explicitly obedient to God in carrying out their ministry as most missionaries are. Do you know what your God-given ministry is? I suspect that you do because God's hand of blessing is on this ministry. Are you also obedient to it? I think I know the answer to that is yes. 
So because of that, we all should be praising God for our ministry on a regular basis. Asking him for wisdom on how to properly be obedient to him. We also must be obedient to God. So the second application is obey your God-given ministry like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. Finally, third application. Understand Satan is not sovereign. Satan does not possess the power to overcome God's sovereign plan for you. He may attempt to frustrate and discourage you, but God's word promises us that he will help us to overcome Satan's efforts in our lives. We sang about it earlier. It's stated in 1 Corinthians 10.13. So we must remember this fact. So where do we go from here? Accept the sovereignty of God. When things come into your life, change of job, change of location where you live, financial difficulty, health difficulty, whatever it is, accept the sovereignty of God. Ask him what you're to learn from it. Secondly, we're to obey our God-given ministry. Thank him for it. Know what it is. And finally, remember God's promise to help you. He's a prayer away. Let's pray. Our Father, truly, hallowed be your name. It is a name that is the greatest. It is the highest. It is above all names. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're willing to help us. You're willing to grant us wisdom and grace and mercy. We so appreciate you. Father, we know that one day you're coming back. And on that day, we're going to go home. May it be today. If not, we trust that you will find us faithful in the ministry that you've given us to do. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen.